Welcome to Profit's Healthcare Transformers podcast, where we'll be talking to leaders in healthcare who are focused on transforming their organizations to drive the next level of growth for their business and for healthcare. Hosted by Priya Anasia, Lindsay Mosby, Paul Schrimpf, and Jeff Gorgi. Transformation is one of those terms that has a lot of layers to it. Sometimes it's about innovation. Sometimes it's about shifting the way you do business. Sometimes it's to your overall operating model. And other times it's to a specific department or function. It's also about people, helping them navigate the discomfort that comes with change, but also motivating them to engage in the journey of transformation from the CEO to the newest employee. It's a journey, and that's why we created this podcast, to break down this multidimensional, dynamic topic of transformation, one story at a time. Are you ready to dive in? Hi, I'm Paul Schrempf, your host for this episode. Today, we have Joni Caldoun, Vice President and Chief Health Equity Officer at CVS Health. Dr. Caldoun, welcome. Thanks for having me on. Yes. So we're going to spend a lot of time around your recent efforts in the transformation space. And we'd love to start out with learning a a little bit about you, your role at CVS Health and the career path that made you who you are today. You know, I'm I'm really excited about about my current role. I'm the inaugural Chief Health Equity Officer for CVS. And my role is really to look across all lines of the CVS Health business and to develop and then implement strategies that make sure our members, our clients, uh, communities serve, that everyone really has the greatest opportunity to be as healthy as possible. So that's internally facing, so looking at our own structures, policies, and processes, but also looking at the communities that we're in and how we're showing up in those communities. Gotcha. And Elyria, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background and kind of what got you to where you are today. I'm assuming there wasn't a high prevalence of chief health equity officers when you were younger, but would love to get a sense of your journey and kind of what inspired you to to take on the path that you've taken. From a young age, and particularly watching some of the health challenges unfold in my own family that hails uh, both my parents from the east side of Detroit, I knew that I wanted to make a difference and and I wanted to make a difference in the health of of underserved communities. So so I set off wanting to become a physician. I still actually practice emergency medicine today in the city of Detroit. But I'll tell you very early on in my medical training, I realized that there's so much more that happens outside of the walls of a healthcare system or an emergency department that impacts whether or not someone can be healthy. Whether it's someone in the ER who I'm taking care of because they're having a stroke because they ran out of their medication or they couldn't afford it. Or seeing people who are homeless in the ER and they have no other place to go for food or shelter and so they continue to come into the ER. So I think for me, it's always been about what can I do with my life and my career to help change the trajectory of health in this country? It's landed me in many roles. Uh, I spent time as chief medical officer in Baltimore. I was honored to be the Detroit Health Commissioner. And most recently, until last fall, I was the chief medical executive for Michigan and had the honor of leading the state's COVID-19 response. So, So I think overall, my career trajectory has been about improving health in this country. And I'm really excited about this role at CVS Health and what, what we're doing. Awesome. And what are some of the, the biggest challenges you and your team are, are trying to address now? The COVID-19 crisis really exposed what many people working in the health space, particularly those working with and in underserved communities, what we've known for some time, and that's that health inequities exist, whether it is uh, cardiovascular disease, mental health, cancer, and of course, 
course, uh, COVID-19, where we know that Black and brown individuals are almost twice as likely to die from COVID-19 as other people. We know there's stark differences in health outcomes, not only by race and ethnicity, but by gender, income, sexual orientation, disability status. And I think the important thing to note is that these disparities aren't actually inevitable. And they're also, especially when you start talking about race and ethnicity, it's not about a gene. There's no gene that says because of the color of your skin, you should have a lower quality of life or die sooner. It has everything to do with the experiences of health and healthcare and things that happen within and external to the healthcare system. And so those are the challenges that we, and I think a lot of folks in this country are really grappling with and what COVID-19 really brought to the forefront. Gotcha. That, that's a great point because I think in the world of healthcare, it normally goes into research and science and we're looking at biology and DNA but this idea of the experience impacting health outcomes is a new wrinkle. We've been talking about it a lot, but but what's making how we address that aspect in delivering better outcomes surprisingly difficult to execute on and it's going to take some time? Yeah, you know, the reasons why health disparities exist are quite complex. They did not happen overnight. They took centuries <laughs> to develop. And so it's going to take a long time to be able to fix them. And there are things that, you know, have taken place historically in the past, but I think we have to be honest with ourselves and recognize the shortcomings of our healthcare system, but also our financial systems, our education systems, our other systems in society, and how they contribute to poor health outcomes. And so it's things like redlining, where people of color were specifically denied access to low-interest loans from banks and weren't allowed to live in certain neighborhoods. You see that that redlining policy, and that was federal policy, that was the rule of lending in this country, you see that still play out in where people live and the income and poverty that exists within cities today. It's about access to high quality education and jobs, high quality healthcare, the fact that the healthcare system, especially at the physician level, really lacks diversity in cultural backgrounds. And I think we have to be honest about the existence of implicit bias. And so I think it's important to recognize that these structures are really what contribute to health inequities. And, and again, it's not genetics. And once you understand that, then you can start thinking about how you fix those structures and systems and make health equity not just be a program, but really just be how we do our work uh, in healthcare and beyond. Those are excellent points. I think the piece where I'm kind of keeping an eye open is... In the last two years, it's almost been fashionable to talk about health equity. And you hear a lot of organizations saying, we do X, Y, Z, or we're still a great company, and they kind of staple on, and we want to drive better health equity. And it's becoming almost kind of a health equity washing aspect. But but kind of going deeper into some of those points that you just mentioned, what's unique about how CBS Health is tackling those challenges? I would say, and it's what excites me about this role, is that as a healthcare innovation company, we actually touch at CVS Health more than 100 million people across all of our lines of business. So our health plan, Aetna, our pharmacy benefit manager, Caremark, of course, our retail footprint. We have a foundation that partners in communities and provides grants. So there's a, a huge opportunity for us at CVS Health to improve the tra trajectory of health and healthcare for people across the country. And I think in a way that no one else can. And so I think when you talk about the tangible things that companies can be doing and what we're doing at CBS Health, it's internal things. So starting with data, 
making sure we're collecting and analyzing robust data for our colleagues, our members, our clients, our customers. So what is the actual race and ethnicity of the people that we're serving? What is their preferred language? What's their disability status, sexual orientation, gender identity? And not just collecting the data just to have it, but the data helps us really understand that we actually have disparities. And then you can actually really make sure you're implementing programs and structures to be able to address them. So an example of this would be looking at as a health plan, your appeals processes, your prior authorization rates. Is there actually a difference in how those are being approved or moved forward based on race and ethnicity? How are you integrating, again, looking at data and understanding disparities for all of the quality measures that you have? You may find that your quality measures are doing well, but when you break it down by race and ethnicity, you'll find disparities. So what do you do about it? Do you need to actually have tweak your programs, do increased outreach in some communities so that you can address the disparities? So again, it's about data. It's about being data driven and then guiding what you do as far as being able to address those disparities once you identify them. Gotcha. And you mentioned a lot around biases. And we normally think of that as individuals, professionals. But when you look at a CVS Health, it's it's a large organization. It's been around for a while. Do you think there's also such thing as organizational biases that, that need to be taken into account as we think to drive better health equity? There are probably some processes and pieces in place that the organization needs to look at because of the, the biases of the organization in addition to the people. As a human being, we all have our own biases, that our own experiences, what, we, what we've done, what we think. Those are things that influence how we show up at home, in our communities, and at work. So a large part of what we're doing at CBS Health is making sure, to your point about everyone throwing around the word health equity, but what does that really mean? So we're making sure we have high-impact training for all of our 300,000 colleagues that work for CVS Health, making sure they understand not just the buzzword, but what does that mean when you're doing care management? When you're at the register in one of our retail stores and you're interacting with someone, how can you make sure that interaction is high quality? Make sure you're, that you're delivering culturally competent care. And again, it, a lot of it's about training and maybe making people aware and giving them the tools so they can actually improve how they're delivering uh, health care to our clients and, and customers. That's really, really important. And again, it's also about, to your point, looking at those internal structures and processes. And I think that's for any organization. You really have to be intentional. You don't think about it intentionally and integrate Again, am I perpetuating disparities? Do disparities even exist? That should just be the way any company thinks about their business. It should be a way of doing work, not a special program. That's great. I think we're, we're all, and I say we, I mean, almost everybody I talk to is very excited about the, the potential of CVS because when people talk about the size, the scale, the data, the reach, the, the potential to really have a seismic impact on the U.S. healthcare exp experience is huge. So we're really excited to see kind of how your role unfolds and, and shifts and shapes the, the organization to be more you know accessible for all in the U.S. That's exciting. Now, let's shift gears. You led Michigan's COVID-19 response. And we're very focused on disparities there. Tell us more about how you tackled COVID disparities as Michigan's chief medical executive and some of the reasons that those disparities existed. Absolutely. I mean, truly one of the greatest honors of my life has been, I think will be, leading Michigan's response to the pandemic of the century. 
I must give credit and kudos to the team and the Department of Health and Human Services who really just gave it their all and, and still are, even though I'm not there anymore, but they, they still are just an amazing team. And so I would say it started really with intentionality. Michigan was actually one of the first states to track and report disparities in COVID-19 cases and deaths by race and ethnicity. And we were intentional. And, and part of that was really a culture. I will say this is something I brought with me in working in public health departments. Whenever I, we did it with our opioid work as well. Whenever you want to publish data or look at data, you have to look at it from an equity lens. And that means looking for disparities. So it was one of the first things we did. And of course, we identified disparities because all those structures I talked about are why we have the disparities. So we identified disparities. But then with that, we actually acted. So We first started with engaging local communities where we saw the greatest increase in cases. Unfortunately, that was uh, the city of Detroit and the surrounding metropolitan area. We started by asking them, well, what were the challenges that you saw? What are the issues on the ground? And what are the solutions that are needed to address them? And so we ended up expanding access to low-cost and no-cost testing. And and remember 2020, where that was really a challenge. So we expanded access directly in those neighborhoods. We made sure we were addressing social determinants of health by easing access to food and housing and personal uh, supplies that people needed. We assured vaccines were available in communities that were historically underserved. You know, mass vaccination sites are great, but everyone doesn't have a car. And people were driving from more privileged areas to (laughs) the mass vaccination sites. So we partnered early with community-based organizations, with churches, et cetera, so we can get those testing and vaccines into underserved communities. And we actually saw success where we actually decreased the disparity we saw in cases and deaths, uh, particularly, I'd say, in 2020 with our testing and, and communications efforts. And so, again, I think it's looking for the data, being intentional, engaging the community, And then being very specific when it comes to allocating resources and making those resources easily available for those underserved and marginalized communities. With that, there was a a big shift. I mean, we can do as much planning and we can kind of do the hindsight 2020 with a lot of natural disasters, pandemics, et cetera. But this largely caught a lot of people off guard. Can, Can you talk a little bit about kind of what you learned that worked kind of tackling an issue that I don't think any of us could have planned robustly for, but would love to kind of talk to a little bit around the, the amount of shift and transformation you had to drive in Michigan and what you learned from that. In the organizations that I've had the honor of being a leader in, I think a lot of it is about starting with data, <laughs> right? Start And also starting with an assessment, what's currently happening on the ground, what resources do you currently have, engaging the community, and then how do you move forward with that? And always remembering, especially for pandemic response, you have to be nimble. Uh, You won't know everything. Things are constantly changing, but really putting together a structure and a system so that you can be able to tackle whatever the challenge may be. And so I think it's hard. I, I will say from a public health perspective, there have been, my health departments, others have pandemic response plans that have been around. We have pandemic response, public health, emergency preparedness directors who do tabletop exercises, et cetera. So those plans have been in place, but I think it was a matter of implementing the plans, implementing them well, and making sure people outside of public health, right? So looking outside of your organization, actually understand them and are part of those planning efforts and have the resources 
to be able to implement the plans to protect people. And so I think there's many things that we all have to learn from the pandemic response, but I think it's about being intentional, being data-driven, looking at your structures and your processes, and then being nimble as things unfold. Kind of what are some myths, realities, and misnomers as it comes to driving transformation or driving change that that you think it's important for other executives to be aware of? There's much that I've learned, and and I'm, I'm always, I consider myself a lifelong learner, but I think one of the things I've noted is that people think that transformation has to be immediate. (laughs) And I think sometimes people think that it has to be super complex and and complicated. I really think the best transformation and the greatest outcomes come about when you make things simple and you really make them people and customer focused. It does not have to be a brand new technology necessarily. Maybe it's just a card, you know, maybe it's just (laughs) simplifying meetings or having fewer meetings or bringing the right people into the conversation. I think transformation really does not have to be complex. That's probably one of the misnomers that I've, I've seen about transformation and what I've learned in trying to lead transformation in organizations. And on the other side, there's a lot of people claiming that most transformations fail. And whether that's true or not, I don't know, but I have to believe that many do. But we'd love to get your thoughts on kind of what contributes to that failure or what contributes to a higher degree of challenge in executing transformations. I would say that the most important piece of any transformation effort are the people. And you have to engage not just the people with the top titles, but you have to engage people at all levels of the organization. I did some transformation work when I was Detroit's health commissioner, and I engaged, brought into the room our secretarial staff, and I asked them what they thought was important and what we were saying. And, you know, they were so surprised. They almost, they, I would call on them because they would be so quiet. They thought they were just there to take the minutes. And I said, no, you're part of the transformation process. I want to hear from you what's happening. But again, I think oftentimes transformation is top down uh, and it really has to be up, down, around, across and recognizing it's not just getting people to buy in, but it's about having the solutions and and what's driving the transformation come from all levels of the organization. And I will say from a CVS health perspective, that's what I'm really excited about as far as our health equity strategy is that we are embarking on that exact process of engaging with our colleagues, asking them what they're experiencing and making sure that's not just external facing our health equity work, it's internal facing as well. Those are wonderful stories. Last question as we close out, if you could go back to tell your younger self one thing back in the days when you were in DC and Baltimore and even before Detroit, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give yourself? It would be to always be flexible. (laughs) Always be flexible because you never know what's going to happen. You can plan all you want and then you just never know. So I think it's it's flexibility and being nimble. Jonay, thank you so much for taking some time to share your story today. There are so many great pieces of insight and inspiration. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for listening to Profits Healthcare Transformers podcast. This podcast is produced by Jared Johnson and his wonderful team at Shift Forward Health. And a big thank you to our hosts, Priya and Asia, Lindsay Mosby, Paul Schrimpf, and Jeff Gorgi. If you liked today's episode, you can find more great content like this at profit.com slash thinking. 
I'm Anna Kuno, the senior editor of this podcast. Thank you for listening.